0: Hello and welcome to Tuesday Thanks, presented by Leeds Hospitality Group. I'm your host, Brian Proctor. Join me as we sit down to chat with yet another industry leader. Our guests come from a wide range of professions across the globe. We'll take the time to learn about their journey, where it started and where they are today. We use this opportunity to allow the guest to thank an individual or individuals that played a key role in their career understand what they learned from the experience and how they have incorporated it into their own development and growth. Gratitude is strongly and consistently associated with greater happiness. Not only can it help your mental well-being, it can also improve your physical health. So join us as we share some great stories, thank a lot of wonderful people, and of course, share some laughs. Let's do this. Welcome to another episode of Tuesday's Thanks. I'm excited today to be joined by Paul Wisherman, founder, president, and CEO of Wisherman Partners. Wisherman Partners is an internationally recognized hospitality firm with a track record of success in hospitality development, brand creation, operations, and acquisitions. With over 40 projects developed, Wisherman Partners brings a unique mix of knowledge, experience, and insight into hospitality management, development and acquisitions, specializing in upper upscale and luxury segments. Paul, we have a lot to cover today, so let's dive right in and thanks so much for being on the show.
1: Well, thank you, Brian. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Well, I've had the pleasure of working with you on a couple projects back in our old Starwood days, so maybe we'll get into that a little bit later, but let's dive right in. And I understand that you come from a family of hoteliers and hospitality-driven people. So how did this all begin with you in the hospitality field?
1: Well, it it definitely started with a family. I'm Paul Wisherman III, you know, Grandpa Paul, Dad Paul, and I'm Paul. And when I was six years old, my grandfather told me I was going to be a chef. What else is there? And so I never had a career choice. Right out out of high school, I became a chef. And people asked me, You know, whatever else I wanted to do, I didn't even think about that. So it was always pre-planned. And today my daughter is in the business as well. So we are going on four generations of hoteliers. That said, I, out of high school, became a chef. I did a typical apprenticeship as as a chef and actually was at the Sheraton Hotel in Essen, which was one of the flagship properties in Europe during the time and you know after that you you continue your career and you went to the michelin star restaurant so i actually know how to cook and i worked in a few michelin star restaurants and you know you asked me to recognize some people along the way so the first one i i do want to recognize other than my first head chef would be my second one and that would be herbert langendorf he was the chef, the executive chef at Die Ente which was one of the top 10 restaurants in Germany at the time. And it was at the height of all that fancy cooking going on. You know, I remember within a year we were sold out or not sold out, I think four times. And we were 25 chefs in order to cook 60 dinners. So it was, it was murderous. Um, but having said that, what I learned from him was yeah, hard work is important, but you have to show up. You have to show up every day and you need to execute on a consistently high level and mistakes aren't allowed. You know, you, you can't have a good day. And then the next day you have a, you have a guest who didn't enjoy your food, you don't get a second chance. So that was tough cooking, literally. (laughs) but it also prepared you for a lot of the things along our way in our industry which aren't always fun but which are necessary to to have success
0: so if you go back to those days you said 25 chefs to prepare 60 covers or 60 meals so Mm -hmm. is that dinner service only are you working seven days a week at that point or
1: Luckily, uh, this business was owned by a very large company, and it was, it was a prestige uh, project. So we were actually off on Sundays and Mondays. Mm-hmm. But in terms of that, yeah, we had a new menu every day. We wrote, there was nothing left in the refrigerator house. It was always delivered in the day for the day. The only thing which was there might have been a sauce. But we worked eight o'clock in the morning to midnight and if you were lucky you got a break for an hour hour and a half in between shifts not that lunch service was there there was no lunch but you had to prep through lunch and then you might have break before you prep for the dinner service so yeah it was after one year i was fourth in longevity at out of a staff of 25. so it was tough
0: Wow. And so you're learning basically that menu every single day. So the instruction level had to be unbelievable from the chefs and the sous chefs, I would think.
1: That's true. But the fun part was also once you were there for half a year and you were already one of the um, people who were part of the culture and you got to partake in the creativity also. So it it was tough, but you were definitely... You know, when you go backwards and you look at that, it was probably one of the most rewarding things uh, throughout my career.
0: And you did all this without a formal education. I mean, I say formal, but you probably were taught by your grandfather and father and, and then all of like, you started out as the lowest of the low, like a committee or?
1: No, you, you, yes. But beforehand I, that's where I jumped over that. I, I did my apprenticeship, a two year chef apprenticeship at the Sheraton Hotel in essence. So I knew all the basics, but not at that level. Yeah. Uh, yes, I did start as a comedy cuisine at, at that restaurant. Exactly.
0: Wow. That's see. I, you know, as I said earlier, you and I have worked together on some projects that you were developing for Starwood, and I did not know this of you. So this is, this is fascinating. When I started to stalk you online, or, or like I like to say research, I saw all the Terrace restaurant, the Nassar Hof in Wiesbaden, and I'm thinking, wow, I did not know Paul was a food and beverage guy to begin well, with.
1: That's still am.
0: Still still, that's fantastic.
1: <laughs> Gotta so have how, a passion about that.
0: Yeah. So how many, I know the, the terrace was a two star, right? And the Nasserhof was a one star. Are those the two best restaurants that you worked in? Throughout yes. Your career?
1: Yes. And afterwards I switched again. This was all in preparation to take over the family business. I switched over to the hospitality side. I became a visiting student, and went to Cornell, and that's my connection to America. I uh, met my wife there, first wife, and the mother of my daughter, and convinced them to move back with me, to, or her at the time, moved back with me to Germany, and we got married. And, and that's when I worked in the family business. I did that for about five years. Ran the property, which is still a a part of the family as a GM. That's the Park Hotel Oberhausen. Today, my sister is running it. It's very, very successful. It's one of those four-star hotels with quite a bit of food and beverage. It is a very recognized property. And then, you know, yeah, the world was too small at home, or at least I thought so. And I had to branch out and get into the corporate world. And you know, sometimes <clears throat> opportunity happens just by being there. I became the the day I left to the to the next week. I became a, uh, a director of sales and marketing for thirty hotels in Europe. Again, it was a relationship I uh, with a person I had. Uh, I did this, and uh, all of a sudden, I was was jumping in. I had a pretty good education on the marketing side from my side at Cornell, but It was literally trying to teach everybody how to write business plans, how to build a sales organization. And that was by doing, and I was, I think I was 28 years old. Wow. So the first real corporate, well, I shouldn't say real corporate job. Through this relationship, I got involved with Carlson Hospitality. And they had a relationship with Radisson, which became Residor in Europe. And my professor from Cornell was actually on the, on the board for Residor in Europe. And through that relationship, I, I got into that world. And his, his name is Professor Leon Renahan. Um, I am very grateful to him for giving me an insight into consumer behavior. And, and that mean, means the world to me trying to understand consumers, what they would like. And that was, that was definitely a key moment in my career. Because of that, I got the opportunity to introduce a mid-level or upscale brand into Europe that was called Country Net Suites by Carlson. Today, I think there's over 500 of them. At the time, you know, in a typical franchise organization, the way they were, They looked at the opportunity they thought about it it's a master franchise over there so why don't we do that they joint ventured but they really didn't put any capital behind it so quite frankly pretty adventurous at the time i was 29 years old and i was told to you know build build hotels all over the country and didn't really have any money but miraculously, within three and a half years, I had six hotels up and running. We made a million dollars of profit and shipped those back to the States. So, needless to say, the family liked me quite a bit. That was a meaningful contribution to that startup chain. And I was one of their young executives to be part of the overall team. You know, work too much, my. wife I alluded to earlier that she was my first wife. I got divorced. Uh, They moved back to the States and I I didn't want to have a big pond between my daughter and myself. She was four at at the time. I'm now in the United States for 25 years. And and I started working for Carlson here in Minneapolis as a senior vice president. And I had my own startup company called Carlson Lifestyle Living. Uh, That was a mixture between, you know, upscale or, or upper upscale hospitality and residential, and it was supposed to be for the retiring baby boom population. And we started developing a resort in San Antonio, Texas. Um, We had one in design in Savannah, Georgia and in Phoenix. And uh, during that time, I reported to Eric Danziger directly. I was one of the brand presidents, although uh, only a senior VP, um, very small organization. And, um, I had the pleasure of interacting with Eric and he would probably be the third person here. I want to call out, um, you know, Eric is very much a relationship person. And, I was at the time, very German. I had to, you know, be told that it wasn't only about the business model or only about the success, but it was really about relationships. and. He helped me to understand that I had to work the halls. You know, working the halls to me meant like, hey, I'm stealing somebody else's time where they could be working. (laughs) And uh, But it was amazing. It was really very eye-opening. And Eric taught me a lot. So till today, sometimes we don't see each other for a few years. But when we do, it's a very, very, very warm embrace every single time and he certainly helped me to become a better leader. So well,
0: he's, he's been mentioned several times on this show by multiple <laughs> by multiple people as as being somebody who really forged a lot of careers, mentored a lot of careers and to your point really put the emphasis on the relationship aspects of our business over the nuts and bolts which I think you'll say as well. You know, that that'll come. Mm -hmm. relationship building is so key. But I want to jump back if I could for one minute, and I'm sorry to digress, because I'm I'm fascinated. You were 28 years old as the GM at the Park Hotel Oberhausen. And then you take on this role of sales and marketing for 30. Was it 30 branded hotels? Or was it a collection of independents? How did that to Mm -hmm. me is fascinating?
1: Well, it was I was actually at The park hotel, the GM, I was from, I'd say 23 to 28, so five years. And then during that time, the hotel was actually part of Best Western and Best Western in Germany is a collection of independent hotels where at the time there were four and five star hotels. I think they branched out a little bit and they have some three-star hotels in there today, but Germany is very decentralized. And so there are lots of medium-sized towns, like the town from my parents, uh, or my hometown is 240,000 people. And we had the best hotel there. And people came from far, you know, 20, 30 miles to stay at our hotel. And that is a case all over Germany. And during that time, while I was there for five years, I already was invited to participate in a sales and marketing committee for Best Western nationally. And there were only five or six on there. And then when I decided to leave the family business, I, I called one of those people who were on the, he was the number two at that company with 30 hotels. Now he couldn't really believe that I needed a job because I was so you know, known for the success of my dad, but I said, "Hey, no kidding aside, all oh, kidding aside here, I, I need a job." And and he said, "Well, you can start on Monday." And that was it, Brian. I I didn't know as what to start. Uh, you know, I mentioned, "I hey, we're talking executive job." He mm-hmm. said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." And then on Monday, he probably realized he had a problem in this sales and marketing organization, and he said, "Well, why don't you do that?" And I said, fine. Um, And literally, that's what I did. And, and, you know, the best thing is always have a little ignorance or sometimes a lot of ignorance. So you don't get (laughs) afraid. I I keep telling that a lot of young people, if you always consider all the things which can go wrong, you'll never go for it. So, and that was, yeah, like you said, baptism by fire. And when I tell you I, I did that, I drove during a year during that time 35,000 miles 40,000 miles and on top of that i flew you know quite a bit as well but as i've always been able to do or maybe that's where it started i learned i can't do it all by myself so i backfilled and hired uh, people and i had that organization ready to go and i did that only for about a year and a half because then i moved on into a development role
0: yeah that's amazing how difficult was it for you to leave the family business when you've got a family that's entrenched in a community entrenched in a very successful operation how do you say guys this is nice but i i need something else was that a difficult dinner table discussion or did it come easy
1: it didn't go down that way (laughs) we we had an argument so the argument was that i basically told my dad it was time to retire and you know today i have different perspective on that he was, you know, 50 years old and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we didn't talk to one another for a year and I have to tell you, that was the toughest time of my life. I, I am very thankful to my dad for everything he's done for me and, and my mother too. But yeah, no, I left. I just left and, that was tough.
0: Wow. Uh, Yeah. Well, especially, and you're so young, right? You're 28 years old.
1: And my daughter was one month old.
0: Oh my goodness i mean the rest of us we all wanted to be like i wanted to be a gm my goal was to be a first-time gm by the time i was 30. you had already been there you know for five years at 28 so so that's amazing so again i apologize for digressing i just i i think that's a fascinating story as to how you left a successful family business and then throw yourself into sales and marketing which sure you can learn what you learned at, at um you know, Cornell and the sales and marketing of your own property, but then to lead that effort for 20 to 30 properties, that's a big jump for anybody.
1: Well, you know, at the end of the day, once you know how to write a business plan and you, you come to, it, it is like, we still do that today. You know, you get presented with a new property and you need to get your arms around it. So it's a lot of listening and a lot of planning and then you need to figure out what are your strengths and weaknesses in a competitive environment and then how can you execute against that it's not really rocket science it's just a lot of hard work and organizational effort and you know that's more than anything what we had to do at the time coach the right people make changes where the right people weren't there again it's not different than today the different part was those were thirty hotels. And I can tell you of those 30 hotels, 25 needed, you know, desperate help. So yeah, I would say we made a huge impact. And, and it was and, very and
0: how open were these general managers, you know, to a 28 year old <laughs> kid, you know, coming up and saying, okay, here's what we need to do. I mean, was there some, there's probably some pushback from some and others said, hey, great, we need all the help we can get.
1: Well, the news was that wasn't Germany, Brian. You know, and Germans, you can tell what to do, you okay. know, and then they can complain about it. But at the end of the day, they have to do what you tell them to That That, by the way, is part of why Germans are being called very effective, you know, and because there is not a lot of, hey, let's talk about it. And other, uh, I, I didn't say they're the best managers, but efficiency is certainly something which comes through that. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. So, all right, so let's go jump back forward now. And I, again, I apologize for going back, but I just thought it was great. So now you're at Carlson, you're over here in the States. Yep. You're, you're rolling out the brands. How long were you, were you with Carlson about eight, nine, 10 years, somewhere around that, I think? Well,
1: in total. So the first three and a half years were there and then four years in Minnesota from 1998 to 2002, and, you know, everything was going according to plan, love what I was doing, had all the resources. The family actually, against what they've done in the past, invested in real estate with us. Eric was, like, shocked that I actually got the investment committee approvals. And so it was it was really a great time. What then happened, it was 2001, we had 9-11. Mm-hmm. And while it went through 9-11, we had the, you know, most people don't remember, but it was a pretty quick and pretty drastic recession. And nobody really knew where that was going. And that was right in the myth of the opening of my first property. And so they came to me and said, Hey, Paul, we need to make money in the year for the year. We love you. We would love for you to move over to the development department and to become senior VP of development. And I just I just couldn't wrap my head around that development in that role doesn't mean development; it really means selling franchise and management agreements, and then I wouldn't be part of the execution of it either. You know, beforehand in my startup, I had my own management company built already. I mean, I shot HR videos, so I quit in that recession. It took him six months to accept my resignation. Seriously, it was quite a is that what is there not to understand, I'm leaving. And it was, it was interesting, uh, but very grateful. If I were to see Marilyn Carlson Nelson today, it's the same thing as with Eric, a very warm embrace and still a lot of good colleagues from back then. And it was, I was definitely given a chance and keep in mind for somebody who comes from Germany over here, being allowed to build multi-million-dollar resorts and leading the effort was quite a, you know, education and prepared me for what was there to come. You know, at the end of the day, I left because I also had to go through this strategic planning effort all the time with what is on strategy for the board and where does the company want to go. So I had, I don't know, probably 15 or 20 great deals, which I worked on and I only got approved two. You know, very frustrating. And particularly if you want to grow faster than the organization does. So I said, again, with a lot of ignorance, Brian, you know, the open marketplace will want those deals. So how hard can it be? Well, I quit in the recession. My boss at the time, Eric, had left. Jay Witzel called me nuts. Uh, He said, you're crazy. Uh, It's a recession out there. And I said, well, let's give it a go. And that's how I founded Wisherman Partners. And uh, that was in November, 2002. You know, the, the initial days were tough and everything takes longer than you think. I actually had to refinance my house twice. I remember that and but, but it worked. And you know, at the beginning, those were development consulting deals. I think until today, there's never been a month where it didn't generate any kind of income. And that was something I was pretty proud of. But, you know, obviously the builds start continuing. And I didn't want to sell my Mercedes, you know, so as a German, you got to have some pride. <laughs> and so that that's how I Wish My Partners was started. And, and now really the next chapter came. While there were some moments of desperation in there where I probably could have taken an assignment to some select service brand or, or something like that, which I probably would have taken at the time, but I didn't. And we wound up on the full service side and that was with a Sheraton hotel. And I have to really thank, thank Starwood as an organization that they accepted me as, as a manager for that. So at the time I got married again, that was my what my wife was in the business and it was a husband and wife team. But it was only a small hotel, only 150 rooms. And then she was more on the operational side. I was on the development side. And we did our first hotel and was near a hospital. And, you know, Brian, the one thing you know us for is our operational excellence. And so we've always done that. I've I've never known anything else uh, you know again back to german efficiency i, I can't even fat if i have to spend half my time apologizing for something i should have done in the first place mm-hmm. right and so we we've always done that so because of that i guess satisfactions scores as well, always through the roof and and still would like us because of that so next opportunity came along we did another Sheraton hotel, and then we did a Western hotel, and then we actually did a luxury collection hotel and another Sheraton and another Western, And all of a sudden people asked me why, uh, Starwood had singled out, you know, Minnesota as a growth <laughs> opportunity. And I said, well, I don't know. They must know something I didn't know. I, I couldn't I hardly say that it was me. You know, I was just trying to make a living in my backyard was easier than traveling elsewhere. And, but all of a sudden Minnesota wasn't any more an appendix to Chicago. Like literally that's how the Starwood organization looked at it, but it got its own viability. So, you know, over time we've done over 10 hotels in, in the state of Minnesota and the brands, everything from, like I said, Weston, Sheraton, luxury collection, a the W. we were involved in all of those. And then, you know, you build relationships and they become stronger. And, and I certainly have a long list of your former colleagues to thank here. But, you know, we all of a sudden had hotels in Chicago and Detroit and Columbus and Hartford and Charlotte, Atlanta, Nashville, Jackson, Mississippi of all places. And, you know, your development team liked us too, because we could take a deal, which wasn't really baked yet. And, and turn that into something we, so we did a lot of up, up, ground up development Mm -hmm. and our project sizes started getting bigger and bigger. A lot of them were mixed use, you know, we've done some with residential involved and some with shopping centers involved. And probably the smallest deal was something like an aloft hotel. And which was at the time, probably not more than 15, 20 million dollars. And, uh, big mixed use projects. We currently have one on the drawing board for 300 million. So, and we did back then too. our fourth hotel was a $125 million Western hotel. So very involved on the development side as well. I would always say we have two lines of business. One is the development hospitality development, consulting part, and the other one is hotel management, the niche we had there. Was also, you know, when you design something and then you have to hire a manager later on down the road, it's really architects very often defining your spaces, and that's not always the best thing. They don't necessarily know how spaces relate to top line, on the room X side already, but also on the on the F M B side. Never mind back of house programming and and flow. So when we get involved in a project at the beginning and you can immediately give an architect all those answers, you know, that's, that's really much more efficient and much better. You get to much better properties. So it's been fun and it's been great. And during that time, I think when we got involved with Starwood, brand became more important, you know, initially. Yeah, it was kind of like, okay, what are the, you know, power brands, I guess you guys call that category killers, right? Mm-hmm. Western brand. Yep. But what was the difference between a Western and a Sheraton rather than just the design scheme? Clearly mm-hmm. you developed a brand specific training, which was really very, very at the forefront of everything in hospitality at the time. W, it was probably the most tangible one, but I'm, I'm not sure that was very scalable, but very well done in other brands as well. So we learned from that and, uh, you know, i shared with you earlier that one of my first key moments were at school when I learned about consumer behavior, but brand at the end of the day, is all about that, right? It's, it's all about how you can target. a a certain customer segment and provide a more tailored, a more relevant experience for them. And Stowe was very good at that. They might have not been the best in executing on the operational side all the time, but I think you were aware of that too, because sometimes there was the speed to market was, was a very powerful urgency, particularly somebody like Fritz wanted to see that. But that was cool. And we got involved with, in particular, the Le Meridian brand. You know, it wasn't too much we could do to shape the Western brand, although been on the advisory board there for, I don't know, 10, 15 years. But Le Meridian was an interesting part because they actually had something like the hub and the hub was, you know, probably misunderstood here in America. Whereas what that really meant is that you create communal spaces in a lobby which support communication, you know, versus often if you design a lobby and you have an interior designer put furniture in there, he just wants the furniture to look good. And quite frankly, sometimes you need more seats in there so you can actually pull a chair from one place to the next so that a group can go from four people to eight people. And and then you can congregate. That looks terrible, by the way, on a plan. So, but we learned that. I can tell you, when we opened our first Meridian Hotel in Atlanta, I sat at the bar at 10 o'clock at night to just watch the behavior of our guests when, when they arrived. Let me tell you, there weren't too many places where people go in, check in, and at 1030 at night, come back downstairs to the bar and to have a drink. But they did that with us in Atlanta. And I think what we learned there was that, yes, food and beverage in the lobby become becomes paramount. You, you have to have that. Uh, but it also has to be great. And then creating the vibe is only the beginning. So branding, uh, property, on-property activations, all of that came out of it. And we, at that time, and I think if I look back, Brian, this is over 10 years ago, where we made it mandatory at every single one of our properties that we have on property marketing expertise. So it started out with a marketing manager, but then we realized it's not just one person. We have to train operations there too. And it was, it was quite a bit. So at one point we ran four Meridian hotels. We helped you know, launch creative meetings. That was something we came up with and ultimately became a brand standard. But it was great to work with Brand. you know, so not trying to claim ownership here, it, it was uh, a lot of back and forth. And during that time, you know, I just wrote down some names here. Fritz was clearly on the one hand, he was CEO, but on the other hand, he also was very accessible. He, he would reach out and, and just want to chat and it was pretty impressive. That that he took the time. Now became very good friends with Matt Averill during that time. Um, he was definitely an owners-focused ambassador for operations. Came from a real estate background, so he definitely uh, was there and and a very good human being. I I really enjoyed working with Matt. And then of course our our day-to-day people in in North America: Denise, Serge, Dave Moore. And, you know, I, I definitely have to give a special shout out also to Chip Olson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Chip was definitely a partner in crime when it came to mm-hmm. the development part. We both enjoy wine, so it was easy to do <laughs> that. And God, am I proud of him, the the path he's made. And he was he was always meant to do that. He, he's definitely a people person as well. Yeah. And a very hard worker. So it was a, it was a great, great time.
0: Well, I mean, you you made it very easy. I mean, I you know, short of going visiting your offices in the winter, it was <laughs> when we were working on developing some of the Westins together, and you, and you were doing them, and you know, it was one of those great environments where you could go, and it always felt like it was a collaboration. It wasn't like some some owner developers we go in we would go into and you kind of have to really push being the brand police to make the sure things were on but you guys with your operations experience your brand experience the development experience you know as you said you guys helped launch La meridian here in this country f- for starwood and so it was always that collaborative collaboration that I felt that I loved going cuz when we sat down to review plans with you guys everybody, I don't want to say it was on the same page for everything, but it was a very enjoyable learning exercise versus going in there and critiquing everything and this, that, and the other thing. So, you know, we at Starwood, I can vouch for the Sue brushes of the world and all, all the other folks that you built and managed fantastic hotels for made our life easy. And it was very enjoyable working with you guys. So I think that was the key to this. the, you know, the relationship you had with Matt and chip and Fritz and everybody was you guys delivered a class properties in a very nice manner. And I just thought it was always a very good working partnership whenever we were working on a project with you. And I, you know, I, I'm old, so I forget exactly how many projects we did with you when I was with the new builds team, but even the starwood (laughs) managers that you hired as your GMs, would you know if a Wisherman partners property came up you must have been inundated with resumes because everybody wanted to work at your properties because (laughs) you built them right you managed them right to your point you drove that marketing to a you know so kudos to you because there's a lot of people out there in this industry that you know crossed your path because of what you guys were able to accomplish
1: well, thank you, Brian. Those were very kind words. You know, at the end of the day, it's it's a lot of hard work and dedication to excellence. But, you know, back to the relationship we had with one another, we always looked at, you know, if we sign up for Western Hotel or La Meridian Hotel, why wouldn't I want your support? And, you know, if you make it enjoyable both ways, you will go the extra mile and help us, too. You know, they I can't tell you often. Your teams have been helpful on top line or have been helpful on other things. And, you know, like I said, we probably should have listened, listed 20 more names. I'm actually impressed that you had to bring up Sue Brush. You know, God, what a lady and, and a wonderful supporter she's always been. It's been nothing but wonderful those times. Yeah. She's
0: you know, a special, special
1: lady. Yeah. So, you know, obviously. You can imagine my shock when I had to go through the sale to married International. But I also have to tell you, they couldn't have made that easier for me. And the first person in all of that was Arnie Zorn. You know, he was, he, he was so gracious. I, I don't know why I deserved that, because clearly in the Starwood world, I was Not I was, we were, we enjoyed a very close relationship. And now you feel like you're the new kid on the block and with a new kid on the block, Merritt has much bigger partners than our little company. Uh, Size matters at Merritt and and it was an incredible welcome. And I've, I've since then been on the minor board, you know, why would somebody with a small portfolio like ours belong there, but they, they were very appreciative of the voice. We've had a different perspective on many things, as you know, and we've been very welcomed. Now I have to tell one story, which was rather early on in that uh, situation. So my first minor meeting and we're thinking, okay, great. And so the evening starts, I'm having a cocktail, you know, and now you're going to the gala dinner and I get myself a second cocktail. And I walked down to my table and I have no idea where I'm sitting. And I wander through it and I said, whoa, right in front of the stage. And I said, well, who, who am I sitting next to? Well, it was Bill Marriott, And so I was sitting next to Mr. Marriott for four hours during that dinner. And the first thing is I lost my second cocktail, you know, put that, put that away, I figured I had to be ready for the conversation and and then mr Marriott walks up to me and says hello my name is bill (laughs) so i had wherewithal to realize yes mr Marriott tell us uh, thank you Uh, my name is paul so we we had a nice chat but i have to tell you what a wonderful conversation it was and going back and forth and on the one hand inquisitory uh, because he definitely wanted to learn about the Starwood brands. And that was the purpose why I was sitting next to him. I learned later on, mm-hmm. but he was happy to share stories from, you know, when he was way in cost overruns at the Merit Marquis in New York. And what a, what a tough call that was to have to make to his dad. And so a very personal one-on-one conversation and, you know, probably more than in any other company things He has created like you take care of uh, our employees and the employees will take care of the guests. That is truly a mantra, which, which works there. And, uh, you know, it, it's always been the case with us. You know, I, I believe in the service profit chain. That means a loyal customer is a more profitable customer. The only way that happens if you build an engaged employee culture. So it's the same, it's the same method and. Then you can create, you know, once you have loyal guests stickiness and you can charge more and so therefore it was never a clash going from Starwood over to Marriott or transitioning, I guess I should say, although the culture has changed dramatically where I always say Starwood was a brand company, which happened to be in the hotel business where Marriott is an operating company, which happens to own some hotel brands and now a lot of hotel brands, but a lot of good people there too. And very strong relationships as well. Yeah.
0: Well, quality begets quality, right? So, Mm -hmm. I mean, I I can see why, you know, they would obviously want to to have you on their board, advisory boards and and input because of the great work you've done. So listen, I could sit here and talk to you for about another three hours because this is fascinating, but I know you have a life so you know it is tuesday after all and you know you thanked a lot of great people the eric danzinger's of the world fritz the carlsons your professor the matt denise serge dave mar chip so many people is there anyone else that comes to mind or that you still want to get a quick thanks into and then i'll let you get on your way
1: yeah it's it's probably looking forward i think that's a little different You know, it it would be my team and they put a lot of trust in me. And I'm right now probably trying their patience because we're reinventing ourselves again, you know, we're, we're pivoting. I do believe there is an opportunity and independent luxury for us. We're working on projects currently in the Caribbean, in Europe. And we've built a, a strategic alliance with leading hotels of the world. And again, people taking a flyer on us, you know, where we really haven't worked that much together, but Shannon Knapp, the CEO at Leading Hotels of the World, a visionary executive in our industry, has really transformed Leading quite a bit already. I think you will hear much more about that. But then Brian, when when I met my team, you know, it is about how do you connect positioning and guest experience all the time. And, you know, it, it is about creating meaningful hospitality. And so revi- rewriting service culture, you know, rewriting operational blueprints for our properties. That doesn't happen just by me saying, hey, guys, I think we need to try a little harder. You know, no, there's, a, there's a lot of hard work in there and my team is you know excited and they are they're jumping right in there so I, I we have a team of about 10 executives and they all have a day job but the day job is you know probably doubled up by now because of that the the new division we've created is called Wishman Atelier there's already a landing website out there and you can take a look at that it's quite aspirational So, you know, that's, that's probably what the future holds. I'm I'm not saying we're not going to continue to do what we're doing with Wishman Partners, but there is probably a guest facing or consumer facing experience, which we think is available to us out there. And, um, we're going to be excited to pursue that.
0: Well, that's, that's fantastic. I love the way you're always on the forefront of these cutting edge, new things, and you're always looking for something new whether it's within the brand or in this case with that luxury independent, because I agree, the luxury independent segment right now is wide open. It seems to be very, you know, handling everything that's been going on very strongly. People are looking for that special experience versus, you know, the brands. And, you know, the other thing I like about luxury these days is you can afford to have staff on board and I'm not, you know, dealing with, you know, one person trying to handle the needs of 55 guests type of deal so i love that
1: one more thing people to thank it it starts with my family Mm -hmm. and you know i I mentioned earlier my parents and and my dad too they've been very very supportive of me every single time thankfully they're both still around they're 82 years old and i I get to enjoy uh, spending time with them but there was always this unwavering support you know, again, I mentioned, I am thinking about the future there as well. And I have that same support from my daughter. Now, you know, you might think, why am I doing what I'm doing? And, you know, at the end of the day, I, I did some soul searching there and, you know, I, I landed at this, I'm not sure it's wisdom, but at a saying, and, how long does it take to build a great company? And, you know, I came to the conclusion it's more than one generation. And so what I'm doing right now, and I'm not thinking about retiring, I'm still fairly young, but I, I certainly want to write the next chapter and, and help my daughter realize that down the road. So four generations of hospitality or hoteliers years is, is in the works. And we're very, very excited about the future.
0: Yeah, that, no, that's exciting and and it will continue to grow. So kudos to you on, on that. I mean, again, four generations of a family in the same business. Um, now, are your parents still back in Germany or have they come over here with you?
1: No, everybody's in Germany, but my daughter, my daughter lives uh, here. She lives in Brooklyn. She is uh, part of a boutique hospitality, luxury, luxury hospitality chain and learning the business right now. And it's. It's fun.
0: That's excellent. Well, listen, like I said earlier, I could I could continue talking, but I know you're busy, and, and I can't thank you enough for setting this time aside. So I'm going to end like I always do, folks. If it's Tuesday, let's get out there and thank some folks. They're going to really appreciate it, and you're going to feel good doing it. So once again, Paul, thank you so much for being on the show. I really, really enjoyed this talk.
1: Thank you very much, Brian. You're a true
0: gentleman. you enjoyed the show today and thanks so much for tuning in we really appreciate it if you would like to be a guest on the show so that you can thank someone for their role in your career please reach out to me via our Tuesday Thanks website at www.tuesdaysthanks.com remember a sincere thank you goes a long way to making someone feel appreciated and can make their day so until next time be well Be safe, and please don't be afraid to tell someone thanks. Chat soon.